0: all of us are living in a grand experiment of how does media enable growth for our brands and help us achieve our outcomes. But if we took one step back, I think what we're all really trying to get at is like the world that we live in, we are all trying to be everything to everybody and we look and sound like everybody.
1: I'm Margaret Kelsey. And I'm Devin Bramhill. And this is Don't Say Content. And shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. They're great at creating shows with strategic outcomes in mind. They've been with us since the podcast was just an idea, and they helped us bring it to life from strategy all the way to execution, and we absolutely love partnering with them. So if you, dear listeners, are thinking of launching a podcast,
2: which you definitely should, by the way, we recommend having a conversation with our favorite people over at Share Your Genius. Now let's get into it.
1: So Margaret, listen, we are having a guest on, and there is a reason And I know that we never do this. And don't worry, we're not going to do it. So if your PR people are getting ready to send us one of those emails, we're not going to say yes still, unless you're Barack or Michelle. But we have been talking around this thing for a while. It turns out that our producer, Rachel, she's like, oh, cute, you finally came to the big kids table. So we have talked about a lot of things that are going on in the world of marketing recently, A lot of it boils down to the fact that traditional content marketing playbooks are not working the way they used to. People are finally coming back to the realization that playbooks themselves were the part of the problem. Some of them are starting to think for themselves, this plus the new mediums of the day are changing content marketing as a practice.
2: You said it succinctly. I think that channel algorithms are changing, consumption patterns are changing, purchase patterns and the way that we buy are changing, and saturation of everything is changing. Everything is more saturated. All the channels are more saturated than ever. People are taking longer times to buy because of macro environment changes, content, and these channels are prioritizing people to stay in the channel rather than bounce elsewhere to be nurtured. And I think it's a perfect storm of what are all those data points and what does it mean moving forward? The things that we used to do don't work because of not just one reason, but like 17 reasons. And
1: you know what's not saturated actually? Because Rachel, she was like, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, oh shit, podcasts are not saturated. Even like TikTok as a platform, like there's a lot of people using it, but they actually don't have as large a mass of creators or people who at least produce consistently. There is a huge opportunity to overstep a lot of these challenges with the existing playbook by trying new things and that was what excited me when i first brought on rachel to help with the animals podcast is like she had that vision like she verbalized it to me first i was like things are different and she's like yeah bitch you're doing it backwards we were focusing on written content and she's like no start backwards. And I think with all the generative AI stuff, it makes a lot of sense. The way you've tied in community also, Rachel, around this partner program that you created here, you're really embodying this like volume of output isn't necessarily going to bring in a commensurate body of input. And you're kind of saying you can achieve more with less. And I really liked that. That is why we are here because you took us little babies in and you put us into your idea flow and are developing it. So- Can you tell us everything that I didn't say?
0: I think the thing that comes to mind for me is like, A, I think all of us are living in a grand experiment of how does media enable growth for our brands and help us achieve our outcomes. But if we took one step back, I think what we're all really trying to get at is like the world that we live in, we are all trying to be everything to everybody and we look and sound like everybody. And the reality is what brands have the power to do now that they've never had the power to do before is actually lean into their own disruption, their own innovation and break the status quo, not because that's the thing to do, but it's because that's the thing they can do. And we've never been able to do that before, like specifically in B2B that they get caught up in is kind of what you were talking about earlier with the playbooks and the old ways and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, who cares about any of that stuff? And in reality, it's like, what are you adding to the marketplace that's different? And it doesn't have to be explosive and it doesn't have to be this thing that gets you all this earned media. It just has to be true to you. And I think that's the thing that everybody's hungry for. And that's one of the reasons that, again, you tee this up in terms of like our relationship. That's exactly what attracted me to working with you two is because you two were willing to be yourself. And break the status quo of what people expected you to be. That's the idea. And then it goes, well, what tools can we leverage to make sure people are aware of you? So that's kind of where I center.
1: Like in a sea of sameness, you are all you've got. And that's actually the best thing ever. I want to dig in a little bit because this is where you expanded my thinking a lot where there's people talking about building a media company or building a media brand and all of that. And I think back to this whole thing we talked about around the danger of buzzwords. How did you get here? Like, What were the little signals that you were starting to put together? I'll
0: take us back just a little journey in history. So I started the company in 2016. And the thing that happened in 2016 is a friend asked me to help him promote his podcast. All I did for four hours was I went on Twitter and I found all these people who were talking about inbound and all this kind of stuff. And I just chimed into the conversation, but I tied it back to the show that we were launching, the show that we were creating. What started to happen is not only did I have this content that gave me opportunity for conversation with people I had never had access to before, it gave me audio, it gave me video, it gave me transcriptions, it just gave me stuff. And it gave me a meeting point. It was like, hey, I have this podcast, let's talk, let's meet. And then when we met, As everybody knows, you always tell a friend about a friend you just met that you love. And so that was happening. And I was like, I had been in content marketing for 10 years before. And everything we were doing in content marketing was campaigns and cold call dialing and like all this other crap. And I was like, there's this one channel that I can generate a shit ton of content from and I can use it as an opportunity to have an authentic human conversation. I'm going all in on this. And then if you think back to before 2016, where people started paying attention to YouTube, you could create content like you never could. And now you've got children millionaires because they're creating content. And it's like, it's dumb for brands to not take a strong position in terms of who they are and what makes them unique and what makes them tick and not share it. They don't have to be perfect. It's about sharing it. And people want to be a part of the authentic journey, not the polished one. And so when you say things like, I want to build a media brand, I literally want to vomit because it's like you don't want to build a media brand. That's not what you want. Because if you want to build a media brand, you got to go get advertisers. You got to go build a network. Like it's a shit ton of work. But what you actually want to do is create content that people want to pay attention to. But not everybody. You see what I'm saying? It's like people get too caught up on the destination that when in reality everyone wants to watch the journey.
1: Yeah. My friend Juliana just started a seltzer company and she did this really cool thing where she launched it and she accepted a certain number of orders. And then she's going to make them to order. The email that she wrote to the people who purchased was like, hi, thank you. Here's the thing I'm doing. Here's what's going to happen next. First, I'm going to do this, submit the order. And she's like, hopefully the recipe doesn't get fucked up. She's like preemptively calling out like, hopefully I do a good job. And she's like, and then you'll get the soda and this cool hoodie. And I was like, I am predisposed to supporting you and not judging you at all. No matter how shitty the seltzers are. Because she was imperfect. Her bravery in starting a business when she's not a millionaire and can just do it whenever, right? Like she had to plan it. And then putting herself out there to make mistakes. I was like, I'm so inspired today because of that.
0: What people want is the realness. They want the story because at the end of the day, we're all humans trying to figure it out. Too often, marketers and even CEOs are just so focused on the outcome, the outcome, the outcome. And it's like, If you focus so much on the outcome, you forget to take the next step in front of you and you trip. That's what happens. And so it's like if this was the only advice I ever gave, it would be like just start where you are and start telling the story you know today because your story is going to continue to evolve and people are going to love to be a part of that journey with you.
2: I do think that the thing that always drew me to content marketing was the inherent altruism associated with it and this idea that you can provide value before you have any asks And I do think that this vulnerability piece of sharing your story and sharing your learnings along the way is altruistic for everyone else that might be experiencing something similar. It's less self-serving and more community serving of like, hey, if I have anything that I have already figured out that I can tell you. It's on me to be able to share that and to share that in different ways, to share that one on one in advising and consulting, but to share it when I think it might actually resonate with more people broadly than it's the podcast and LinkedIn and all of those other things. But that's the interesting piece that I've always been so drawn to it is like you don't even have to ask for the sale. You can just provide a lot of value along the way and then good things happen to you. And I know that there's a business case outside of that and it tends to be a little bit more directional in terms of ROI, but To me, I like trusting in the fact that if you
1: provide a bunch of value, eventually good things will happen to you. This is something that you have really made apparent to me, Margaret, is like you do need to make the ask. But I think that's where a lot of this like bad content and practices that people feel are icky came into play is because companies were trying really hard to be 100% altruistic throughout when really they should have accepted selfishness at a certain phase and been open about it. Because- Being selfish isn't bad. You just need to be honest about it. And so I'm the story of like, just talk and help people a lot. I was altruistic. It turns out, no, that doesn't pay. You need to ask for work and that's fine. That closes the loop. That selfishness is a logical part of it and it should happen and it closes the loop. And Rachel, I think this is why a lot of companies, for the sake of this, B2B SaaS companies right now, because they're struggling the most. I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why they haven't tried as much. I don't know if they know how to make that connection from content on a media platform to the company.
0: This is why to a certain size, like your CEO, your founder, they should be the one serving the most. They should be the one having the conversations the most. They should be the one focused on how I create win-win scenarios with my customers, with my prospects, with my partners. They should be doing that because it is the thing that the further the founder gets away, the grosser things get. And the reason why is because the team is not set up to think that way. They're set up to achieve an outcome. And so things start to only feel one-sided and they don't understand how to bridge that gap. And it's like they're feeling the pressure of quotas and targets and all this kind of stuff instead of just being able to be present in the moment of who they're connecting with. And then you see a whole bunch of companies staff up for BDRs and SDRs and all this kind of stuff. Instead of SDRs, what if you hired creators? What if you found people that loved the mission that you were on and had a shared vision for success and like they came alongside your brand and helped scale that founder story by actually creating a new one, like creating a new pillar of that and inviting people to be a part of that. I don't know the pressures of SaaS in that way from a growth perspective in terms of all the people you need to serve, but on some level, your growth goals should actually stop enough to be able to serve the people you have really, really well. And I think that that's where we start to feel like this mismatch in the marketplace.
1: I was just reading this article from the Bumble CEO and how she grew the company in the beginning. And she's like, I went to this cookie place, had them make yellow cookies with a white Bumblebee on it or whatever, and took them to college campuses to sororities and just put them out and then she went to the dude sororities or whatever you call them so both of them joined and now you've got hotties over here and hotties over here and you know what some guy was standing outside my building this summer asking for signatures and i almost told him to fuck off he had chocolate chip cookies and i was like my king whatever you need me to sign up for (laughs) a hundred percent i did it all and then i told everyone i knew to go get a cookie and sign the thing with a guy. In like 10 minutes, that guy was done. He's like, thank you. I was like, thanks for the cookie.
0: Well, because everything comes back down to our human basic needs. It's not all these problems we're solving with SaaS. It comes down to the human basic needs that we all have. To be fed, to be heard, to be understood, to grow, to have purpose, to entertain. Yes, and it's like, which one are you, Brand? And then I'm gonna create content that helps serve that. And then to your point of like, it's not selfish to ask. All of this stuff is just all the same narrative, just different lenses. But it's like self-care is care for you. They tell you to put the airplane mask on first and then you put it on the child. (laughs) Like You have to preserve yourself in order to help more.
1: This is what I hate about swag. And I know, and I'm sorry in advance, but people make swag and they're like, here, aren't you lucky to get this hoodie? I'm like, No. I fucking hate your logo, even if I like your company and I don't look good in Kelly Green. Like, this is what we did. This is how I designed the t-shirts at Help Scout is like, I worked with our illustrator to make badass fucking t-shirts in any fucking color I wanted. And we put the little logo on the side of the sleeve. Same with animals. And I'm like, no, give me something I actually will use and want and be excited about. Jimmy gave us these Yetis. It says Superpath on it, but it's a Yeti.
0: Well, I was going to say, take that swag idea and apply it to a media strategy. I think that people get too caught up on how to scale, how to move things fast because we have to close the quarter, et cetera, et cetera. Media is not a short-term gain. I mean, I've got stories of some clients who close deals off of it. That's awesome. That's the exception, not the rule. But the reality is if you want a good return, you have to be intentional about what you create and you have to think about the other person, not yourself first. And if you do those things, you're going to create better content. You're going to create better media products, and you're going to see the long-term impact of doing that, even if it's not something you can scale
1: immediately. And I think that what was cool about taking this media-first approach is exactly what you said. You are building these relationships through unpolished interactions by way of podcasts, clips on TikTok, et cetera. And it does have a media impact because of the very clear ask. You said... I will sponsor, I will produce your podcast for you. And in return, when I ask you for introductions, make them. And we said, we can do that. And that led to clients. The success led you to do that with more people who know even more people than us. And you got clients from them too. So like, I think there's a way to do it scrappy in the beginning as you're building the long-term concept. I think the
0: nuance of what you're hitting on though, Devin, is like, you can do it scrappy. And I think that there's two schools of thought of like, it has to be this thing that blows everyone out of the water and people don't have time for that. Like 100% accurate. But what they do have time to do and they can quickly see a return, I would say, within three to six months is to be intentional about the premise and to be intentional about who you're talking to and why and be clear on the ask. If you have those things, just go do it. It does not have to be this media brand. It doesn't have to be this show that everyone is talking about. If that becomes a goal of yours, yes, create that. But if you're talking about just getting scrappy with it so you can start investing
1: in media in a way that drives actual outcomes, then yes, absolutely. The general idea people have about when you say the word media, it comes with these preconceived notions about building an audience. But like media doesn't mean a television show, a podcast, an advertisement. Taking a media approach is how you use the things around you to amplify them through media and other like offline things.
0: Well, so I would say media to me is digital. It's the things that can live digitally that you can create. And then there's owned media, which is essentially like the things that I actually should be measuring to see if we're generating results. Like I should be measuring what's going on with my website. You know what I mean? My own channels, my email newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. But to your point around like if I were a person struggling and going, I would like to create a show, a podcast, a video, a newsletter. Like I want something that is a media rich tool that will help me drive connection. What I would be doing right now is going on LinkedIn and looking at all these people who just got these badges and I would be seeing who I could hit up and sponsor. That's what I would be doing. And I would be looking to see that intersection of they have voice and pull to the audience that I want to get in front of. How do I empower them in some way, shape or form? That's what
1: I would be doing right now. It's like the new influencer. It's not 100 million followers. It's about the influence. It's like I don't know nearly as many people as someone else with more followers than me. But the thing that I always say to people is like, people listen to me for some reason. When I say things, they like, believe me. I'm like, you should hire this person or you should go to this company. Like you should use this product, whatever. That's like a thing of values. Like if you find someone like that, it means more than like a bazillion followers. Cause it's gonna be someone who like has actual relationships with the people that you wanna become customers and therefore can influence them on your behalf. So you cut out a whole bunch of steps, basically. You're like, you could go the like long content route Or you could be like, this person's loud on LinkedIn, has a lot of friends there. People seem to listen to her. Obviously, we are so bought in,
2: right? Rachel, what are you seeing from people? What's still the hesitation? What's still the biggest blockers? When can you just not get through to people? Let's say you have like a content marketer or a VP of marketing that's totally bought in. I think the thing that people get stuck on is a couple of things.
0: One is actually what we've talked about. Somebody says, create a podcast. Somebody says, create a media brand. Somebody creates a show. It feels like a way bigger deal than they feel like they have time for, they have talent for, they have capacity to even wrap their arms around. That would be one. Another thing, though, that people are still really stuck on, and we're talking like budget constraints here. Should I put my investments towards paid media? Should I put my investment toward SEO? Or should I do this thing like create content that I can leverage across multiple channels or whatever? It's kind of like they're weighing what they should do based on the short-term implications of what they need. And I think that's what people are really struggling with. But again, that's where I would start to get creative and go, look, there's a ton of creators out in the world that don't need a ton of money to create the thing they're already creating. And so that's why I would be thinking to myself, if I'm going to be focused on an SEO strategy and I do believe in this content play, who are some of the creators out in the space that are values aligned with my mission, who are in front of the people that I want to serve? Like we have a client right now. They literally hired a journalist who owns a distribution channel. Because he is a journalist of this national journal, he's the host of their show. They do one episode a month. That's scrappy. Like, that's smart. Like, you're getting everything out of it. And guess how much their team spends on that? Like,
1: barely any. It's us and this guy. This is the thing. Some of the things that we're calling scrappy is business strategy. That is more aligned with strategy than any of the plans I see out there. And so it's like, It isn't scrappy. It's actually just tactical and smart.
2: Well, find where the audience already lives and go there. The channels used to be that you only had five channels to look at. And now you have infinite number of channels and people are already building the water coolers that your target audience are sitting around. It's just now you got to go find them in different places. But it's not fundamentally different than what everyone ever did. It's just it used to be in a nice little bulleted list. And now it's a little messier.
0: There's also this conversation around, I don't even know what they're calling it, Nearbound or it's Partner ABM or whatever. And the thing that I get stuck on there is I'm like, we're putting constraints around things that are natural to humans. It's about building relationships and how do you build relationships at scale? You actually don't build relationships at scale. But what you do do is you start to work with people who like you and love you and share you. That's really what you're talking about doing. Like I remember back in 2009, I don't even remember, Kyle Lacey came to my college class and he taught about the exponential effects of social media. And I remember sitting in that class, he played like a two-minute video and my mind was blown away where it was like one opportunity creates millions. And it's actually the same thing that we're experiencing today, decade later. And the thing that we've done that sucks is we've tried to make it a formula and a playbook and a check the box. And it's like, what if you just got really intentional about what you said, Margaret? Who is your audience? Where are they? And just freaking double down on that. That doesn't mean you have to create net new. It means find the people who already have done it and support
2: them and help them
0: because they will help
2: you. To me, it's that community bit of the natural belongingness of human beings and tapping into that and the storytelling, the belonging, all the things that we were talking about is like, what are core human needs? And it's so interesting to me, again, said this on another podcast, but when I look at my clients that are either VC backed or bootstrapped and profitable, the bootstrapped and profitable ones all have marketing strategies that are baked in the understanding of virality, word of mouth, community, and these intrinsic human nature stuff. And all the VC clients are trying to throw money at paid and demand gen and things that are forcing people down the funnel rather than trying to truly serve them. And I feel like that's a switch in our own brains and the thing that I have to coach on a lot to marketers who sometimes lose it and just start trying to like spreadsheet marketing. And it's like, no, 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 come back. What are you trying to actually do? You're trying to change their heart and mind about your solution. You're trying to like even get in front of them and then you're trying to change their heart and mind. And that's hard. Like it's still difficult to do. It's just not as complex as you want to make it in this spreadsheet, multi-touch attribution model. It's just like, can you just figure out how to find the human bit in it?
1: I've seen this working with really huge companies where it's like, there's a point at which like that paid media play is a good thing to do because you're at a volume that like that's pretty much all you've got at this point. Like you're doing tons of other things at the same time, but you're so big, you have both budget for community building and the programmatized stuff. But I think there's two things I feel like get missed in what both of you just said, which is one the community building stuff you're doing that's manual, it doesn't scale. What happens is it stops being something you have to do at all. It becomes self-perpetuating. That's what makes it valuable because it takes the you out of growing it at a certain point. And that is a really valuable point. I feel like it's always about what can we guarantee we drive forward. And it's like, yes, you need some of those things, but also know that whatever this thing is that's working that you can't programatize.
2: To your point too, I think all of those scalable channels, if it's not based on the insights that are coming out of the one-to-one experiences, the human connection, the what does our audience need to feel and think right now, what are the gaps of whatever, then you could throw all of the money in the world into these scalable marketing channels and you're not going to get the ROI. So I'm not saying don't do scalable shit. I'm just saying it's a second order process. You have to figure out the first bit you got to talk to people. You have to understand your customer. You have to get those human moments. And then you can easily rip and replace those words into your scalable marketing programs. But without that, I don't know where you would find it from. Like, I don't know where you would base any of this stuff on.
0: And that's why I go hard on saying, like, your founder or your C-suite or whomever, whoever can hold the story true to their soul needs to be the one that sets the foundation for how that story gets told. And then you can have creatives come in and massage it and tweak it and et cetera, et cetera. But again, if I were a brand new company, I would be using media to shape my point of view. I would be using media to understand my market on a deeper level. Like that's how I would be using it. I wouldn't be too focused on how polished it is. I'd be so focused on just using that content to fuel my growth engine down the road.
1: I think there's a huge missed opportunity in the CEO's role in setting up the entire company to contribute to that multiple different places that scale and self-perpetuate. It's how you inspire your team to be creative and get other people excited about your product, no matter what part of the journey they're in, whether the back-end developer or the marketing person or customer support. And I feel like it became this thing that they had to do, this like cultural thing internally. But when I wanted to make a change with how we worked with customers, I remember there became this time when our customers started trading in articles. And it was our fault because we wanted to be really transparent about how our pricing worked. And so we showed them this is exactly what you get. We didn't attach a price to each one. And people were like, oh, I'm paying $2,000 an article. I'm like, no, because we do strategy ongoing for free, which people usually charge you a ton of money for and don't change. Like we were doing stuff, a lot of things right, and they were invisible. And so I put this concept together. I started with the all hands and I said, it's about outcomes, not articles. And I painted the whole picture. Like that day, I felt like freaking Mel Gibson rallying troops. They were like, this is the most inspiring thing ever, you know? And then you work through your manager, like the various levels of management to keep that going, help people see where they can apply it, et cetera. As the CEO, you should be able to do the least and achieve the most because of the power that you're lucky enough to have. I think that area of it gets missed where they're like, okay, we have a vision mission. I'm like, no, use that to tell the story of your product. So then going back to Margaret's point, you're not just selling a product solution. You're selling an entity, a thing that gets you, that sees you, that sees behind the solution to the problems that you're facing in your role, in your company, in your industry, etc. And that's where like the relationship building actually happens.
0: I mean, I think that you lose business because people don't think you care. And that happens to everybody. Like it's happened to us where I'm like, what happened? At the end of it, the root of it is like, we didn't show up like we cared because you weren't prepared. You can break it down from there. But that is what people want. They will forgive a million mistakes. They will do all of those things, but they have to feel that you care.
1: That's one thing you can't put on the freaking pricing page. We have made SaaS products so commoditized. That it's like, if I'm looking at three different products and they all have the same grid, I'm picking features. You're in this feature war. Whereas like when I introduce people to you, Rachel she came back and thanked me. Imagine a sales experience where like the person being sold thanks the other person for
2: the intro. Yeah.
0: Well, buyers want to buy. They just want to be taken care of. And we all do. Like, that's what I'm saying. If I were a CEO or if I were a CMO or if I were a VP, whatever it is, and I was just trying to figure out what I should be doing with media, how to think about it. I have an inkling in my gut to say maybe I should be creating it the answer is yes, you need to be the one creating it, even if it's to get your team rallied around the vision that you have around the company, even if it's like to stay close to the customer, to stay close to the employees, like to keep that relationship accountable. That's how you can leverage media in today's world.
1: Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening.
2: We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great.
1: 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know
2: which side you're on this week.
1: You know. (laughs)
2: You know. See you next week. Bye.
1: Bye. I've been like fucking around on LinkedIn. I literally saw Pep last night at a conference and he's like, what do you do now? Who are you? Like literally. I was like, yeah, good question. He's like, you make a podcast. And I was like, correct. No one knows what the fuck I'm up to. Oh, so you left your job to have a podcast. And I'm like, well,
2: not... I mean, yes, not really. (laughs)